Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Significant Others. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and today we're having a very special conversation about a woman who is integral to the United Farm Workers movement, but whose work is often subsumed by her more visible partner. We are so lucky to have Mark Grossman here with us, who served as Cesar Chavez's press secretary, speechwriter, and personal aide for 24 years, and who's conducted many hours of interviews with Mr. Chavez's wife, Helen, which he has generously agreed to tell us about. Mark Grossman, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we dive into Helen Chavez and her impact, what I like to do when I tell these stories is give a little bit of context of why the more visible piece of the partnership is important to us all culturally. So could you orient us just a little bit with Cesar Chavez and why it is that we care about him? Well, Cesar was perhaps the most significant Latino civil rights leader of the 20th century. You know, the Cesar E. Chavez National Monument is the first of 400 now plus units of the National Park Service named to recognize a contemporary Latino leader. Hmm. And he, with his colleagues, began building and uh, sustaining the first enduring farm workers union in American history. After a hundred years of people with a lot better, a uh, lot more resources and better educations tried and failed to organize farm workers. You know, he was a social entrepreneur. He was a, uh, an environmental champion. Mm. Uh, Douglas Brinkley's new book, Silent Spring Revolution, chronicling the birth of the American environmental movement, has Caesar sprinkled all through it because he considers himself one of those few people in the 60s that took on the degradation of the environment. And Brinkley is now working on a full comprehensive biography of Caesar. Oh, fantastic. That's to come out on the centennial of his birth in 2027. Great. And, you know, uh, not only uh, became a, a farm worker leader, but, but a Latino leader and really a, a moral force and a uh, leader for an inspiration for millions of Americans who trace their social political activism to this small brown man. I'm one of them. Mm. And what is your um, connection to the Chavez family? Well, I had met Caesar already uh, going up on car caravans to Delano in the late 1960s or in the Delano grape strike, bringing donated food and clothing to the strikers and was active. You know, if you were uh, on or near campus in the 60s, 70s, you were boycotting grapes or something else. And so I did that a lot. So I'd met Caesar already. I really got to know him uh, through his eldest son, Fernando. I still call him Polly, his nickname around family. 
Mm. We've been very close friends since we were 19, 20 year old college students. And so I, I, I met Caesar and Helen. I got to know Caesar and Helen through him. Uh, kind of grew up around their older kids. You know, Helen, in addition to raising her own family, was really a surrogate mother to many in the farm worker movement, and I was one of them. Mm. And then I, I knew Caesar the last 24 years of his life, and uh, much of that time I was his press secretary, speechwriter, and personal aide. Oh, wow. So I traveled with him. He took me with him almost everywhere in California, often out of state. So you have a uh, front row seat to their extraordinary life and career. Um, and I do also want to thank uh, Eduardo, who is our sound engineer, for suggesting this subject. He's the person who who said that Helen would be a great um, a, a great person to cover. And, and I'm glad that he mentioned it because um, this already sounds like a great a great story. Um, so you're going to help shine a little bit of light on this person who was central to Cesar Chavez's life and work, who has been much less visible historically. And that's his wife, Helen, as you've mentioned. So can you tell us, kind of go back to the beginning of their relationship and tell us how they met? Well, first, Helen shared much of the same hardships uh, that came with uh, migrant and seasonal farm work. Um, although she was born in uh, the Imperial Valley, town of Brawley in 1928, she was really raised in a converted horse barn in a little town called McFarland, just south of Delano. Uh, her father was one of Pancho Villa's colonels during the Mexican Revolution. Wow. And uh, she met Caesar in the mid-1940s uh, at a malt shop, uh, 11th and Glenwood in Delano, that was ta- was paved over by the the 99 freeway in later years. Uh, they began courting. Uh, when Caesar went away to the Navy in 1946 for two years, they became very serious about each other. And when he was discharged in 1948, uh, they decided to get married. And uh, he went to work out in the fields for months and months to raise money for their life and also so they could go on a honeymoon. They wanted to take a little honeymoon. They went and visited the missions up and down California. And they settled initially in Delano, uh, living in the granny unit in the back of a of a house off what is now the 99 freeway. And how old were they at this time? See, in 1948, Caesar was 21. So they were pretty young. She was a teenager. Uh, she was maybe 20. Right. Yeah. Uh, Caesar and Helen both told the story about when they got married, you know, her mother was a single mother and they had, she, Helen had two sisters and, uh, and two brothers. So Helen quit high school. She was a good student at Delano high school, but Mm -hmm. quit in her sophomore year to support the family. And so, uh, Helen's mother would not allow her to do housework and cooking because she was the breadwinner. Wow. And so when Caesar and Helen were going to get married, Helen's mother told Caesar, well, you know, she can't cook. Caesar <laughs> said, well, she'll learn. He married her anyway. He married her anyway. <laughs> he overlooked her defects, as all good husbands do. <laughs> um, okay, so they're they're pretty young, but probably, you know, uh, um, not unusual for the, for the time uh, to be getting married at that age. Um, she has a history of uh, supporting her family. Does she 
keep working outside the home or does he become the more traditional breadwinner? No, she stayed, well, she's pregnant uh, with their first child, Fernando. Mm-hmm. And uh, Helen tells the story, you know, in, in the tape recorded interviews I did with her that are transcribed, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, in, in those early months of their marriage, that Caesar would come home really disgusted, you know, that he he would uh, he was working then in crops like apricots, which Helen says the pay was so damn cheap, you know, he'd leave work for work when it was dark and he wouldn't come back until after sunset. And he was just, he started, it started him thinking, Helen is saying to me, that, you know, somebody's got, something's got to change. Somebody has got to do something about it. And Caesar would say, my dream, I want to do something for these people, for those workers. And I know how hard it is because I've been through it. And Helen would tell, would say, you know, she said there there was a saying in Spanish, solamente el que carga el saco sabe lo que tria adentro, that only the one who carries a sack knows what's inside it. Caesar knew about farm labor because he was a farm worker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would say, you know, someday somebody's got to do something to help farm workers. Now, he had no idea that somebody would be him. Mm. So when does that inspiration enter his mind, their mind, their life? When does that take hold? Well, in 1952, Caesar was recruited into the community service organization, Latino Civil Rights Group. And it was how he really, he had already gotten out of farm labor, but uh, it was the first decent job he had. He was there for 10 years. He worked, Saul Linsky, he worked for Saul Linsky in Chicago, Industrial Areas Foundation. It sponsored CSO. And Caesar eventually became its national staff director. He was very talented. He organized new CSO chapters up and down the state. But he never forgot, he never let go of this dream of wanting to organize farm workers. And in 1962, when he could not convince his beloved CSO to let him do it, he quit. He gave up this middle-class lifestyle that he had achieved and carefully built he even had a Brooks Brothers credit card. <laughs> uh, drove a Volvo. How many Chicanos drove a Volvo in the early 1960s? Wow. And they they moved from a nice house in Boyle Heights in East LA to the, this dusty little farm town called Delano. And Helen uh, has some wonderful insights about that. And you know that uh, when when he made the decision, he. He, he wanted, it was really a joint decision, you know, uh, with Helen. What, how old were their children at the time when this was percolating? They were between the ages of three and 13. Okay, so she's been married uh, 20 years to him at this point. Well, she's married at that point uh, about 12 years, 13 years. Okay, great. Years, and yeah. she's supported her husband while he has sort of achieved a middle-class American dream, in quotes. And he's, they're somewhat affluent, it sounds like. They've got a home, right? They had credit cards and... They no longer have to scrimp and save to buy food and pay the rent. Yeah, and he's not laboring in the fields from before the sun gets up to after it goes down. And he's, it's still nagging at him, right? That he, there's still something he needs to contribute. He could not live with himself. 
without at least trying to organize farm workers. Mm-hmm. He knew the history. You know, many people with better educations and much more money had tried and failed for a hundred years before him, but he just couldn't live with himself unless he tried. And he said, he and Helen talked and he explained that there'll be no paycheck and it was going to be a big sacrifice and uh, that Helen would have to go back and work in the fields to support the family. Again, she had left, escaped farm labor when they got married. Helen said, he asked, would I give my consent? Would I help him? And she answered, yes, I'll do whatever I need to do. And Caesar said, the kids are going to have a hard time. They're going to have to do with a lot of without a lot of things, and Helen would too. So when they first moved to Delano in 1962, uh, he was most of his time he was on the road. He was traveling, driving from from one impoverished farm worker town to another, trying to organize people into this young new union, and it was tough for every hundred people he talked to. Ninety eight wouldn't speak with them because they knew the history. Mm. That's the brutality, the strikes that were broken. People were blacklisted. Uh, people were killed during mm. formal strikes. And, and so sometimes Caesar would come home from days on the road, not having recruited anybody, and he would be demoralized. And Helen would buck him up. And she, she'd say, Caesar, have faith. You know, You know you can do it. If anyone can do it, it's going to be you. And it's going to take you a lot shorter time than you think it will. Helen said that she, you know, I always supported him. I always gave him courage uh, when he would come home sometimes depressed or or tired. And she would say, I I know it's going to be hard for you for, you know, that there's no paycheck, you know, but, you know, you're doing the right thing, she would say. Uh, And she also said that. Helen knew that he was going to get the support of the people, she said, Mm. because, you know, Helen said people were ready to fight. They were ready to get a better wage. You know, they'd been with a foot on their neck for so long that I think it was time that somebody, they needed a little push. And I think Caesar was that little push. And so in his journal, Caesar would record, you know, feeling down, talk to Helen, went out on the road again. Oh, that is so poignant. That's amazing. Did she ever give you the sense, and I don't know how much you probed for this or not, but did she ever give the sense that she was at all conflicted about going along with this massive change in their lifestyle and their family prospects? She was committing to this incredible act of sacrifice, really. And and I'm wondering if there was a little bit more of a of a scent, like, was it just out of love or was it duty or was she, you know, just following her husband because she's supposed to, or, or was it that she was swept along in the, the meaning of the work from the start? Well, you know, when she passed away in 2016, some well-meaning people were saying about, you know, there's that expression that behind it, every great man is a great woman. And her children took exception with that. And they said, Helen Chavez was never behind Cesar Chavez. She was at his side, and sometimes she was in front of him. And it's funny you should ask that because the question, because uh, shortly after they began the work in 1962, Caesar got an offer from the Kennedy administration to head up uh, the a part of the newly formed Peace Corps in a portion of Latin America. And you know, Helen and Caesar they called the kids together. They had a family meeting. 
<laughs> Caesar, Helen, and the eight kids. Their ages three to thirteen, and you know, Caesar told them, you know, I have this offer of a job, and it would mean going to South America, and you know, your mom would not have to work in the fields anymore, and you'll have maids and a big house and nice schools and all the advantages. So the kids are all looking at each other and they're smiling, you know, oh, oh, that sounds pretty good. But then Caesar explained they would no longer be able to do anything for these farm workers that they had started to organize. And Helen, and she's telling me this in the 2000s, and she said, I knew that Caesar's, what Caesar's mind was set on. You know, he'd left a job that he loved at the CSO. Uh, He wanted to do what he believed was right, what he had always wanted to do. And so who was I to change his mind and say, no, I want to go to a different country and live like a queen, even though I lived in poverty myself and worked in the fields all my life. So, you know, that dream to organize farm workers whose lives both Caesar and Helen had shared was a joint dream. It was something that they both felt. Wow. That's, um, and, and it's so rare to have the kind of access that you have been able to offer anyone who's listening, which is, you know, literally direct from the source. It's, I, I think so many times when I'm researching these stories, I'm relying on the, you know, the, the sort of gaze of the historian, and they're not always asking these kinds of questions. So I'm, I'm again, just very grateful that we have you here with us to give us the direct line. Um, okay, so they are, so 1962 is, I think, where we've kind of come up to. And he is, um, the, the kids are th- between three and 13. There are eight of them, you said? Wow. She's working in the fields all day. He's going out and trying to rally support. It's dangerous work. It's exhausting work. It's sometimes probably hopeless feeling. So what is the next big moment in their journey? Probably the next, the the event that that many people are familiar with comes three years later in 1965. This is when in September of that year, Filipino farm workers in the Delano area walked out on strike against uh, wine and table grape growers. And everyone, Caesar and, and the Filipino union leaders, they all knew the history. Growers would pit the races against each other. They'd use the Latinos to break the Filipino strike and vice versa. And so the Filipino union leaders, Larry Leon, Peter Velasco, and the others, came to Caesar Chavez and, and asked his mostly Latino union, to join their picket lines. Now, Caesar and Dolores Huerta, Gilbert Padilla, and their other early organizers, they had a long-term plan that they would organize for, for maybe years using the community organizing model they had learned in the 50s before they were going to be ready for a major field strike. But Caesar also knew the history and that there really wasn't a choice. And there was a debate among the Caesars, mostly Latino union, should or should they not join the Filipinos' walkouts? And Helen is listening to this debate, and she asks, well, are we a union or not? Hmm. And that settled the questions. Fantastic. And then join the strike. And, And then her life, which was already pretty difficult, you know, became even more uh, burdensome. Hmm. Um, How so? Oh, well, she... You know, she 
would, when the strike began, uh, there was a farm worker credit union that Caesar mm-hmm. ran. He couldn't do that anymore because of the strike. He turned it over to Helen, taught <laughs> her how to do it. Wow. Uh, accounting and bookkeeping. And, and it, by the way, it, over 25 years, it loaned out $20 million wow. to farm workers. She would uh, uh, get up well before dawn and she would do the wash and she would do the clothes and she would make the breakfast and the lunches for the kids. Uh, and then before dawn, she would be on vineyard picket lines right. and, and then go into the office all day and run the credit union and then come home and more. Uh, cooking and cleaning and making sure the kids were doing their homework, you know, and, and Caesar wasn't around. I mean, he, you know, he had to make the decision that the work was so important that it was more important than even spending time with his own children. Helen told me, you know, some fathers are just distant. They don't want to spend time with their kids. But Helen told me Caesar wasn't like that. When the older kids were young, he loved being with them, Mm. but he couldn't. Once the union work and the strike began, I asked Helen once uh, at the end of my interviews with her, would Caesar have done the work, taken on this mission, if he didn't know that Helen would be there to care for his children? In other words, would Caesar have jeopardized the welfare of his kids? Mm. Uh, And Helen said she contemplated it and she said, no, I don't think he would have. If it hadn't been, if he didn't know that she would be there to take care of his family. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hello. Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real. 
But Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O C-O. Okay, so they band together with the Filipino farm worker strike at 1965, and then then what's the next uh, milestone? Well, there's a five-year strike, an international grape boycott that rallies millions of people all over North America and even into Western Europe to the farm workers' cause by boy- boycotting grapes. That's how I first got involved in the late 60s. And then there was just, you know, decades of strikes and marches and boycotts and demonstrations and political campaigns. Helen was with Caesar in 1968 during Bobby Kennedy's presidential campaign in California when RFK was shot. Helen was with she him. She was there. Wow. Uh, when, they, when they received news of it, they went on their knees and said the rosary, mm. praying to survive. And, and there were, uh, you know, tough times. I mean, uh, Today, uh, you know, when people are safely in their graves, they become safe. Mm. But people forget Cesar Chavez was a very controversial figure when he was alive. Sure. I was with him twice in the 70s when federal agents notified the union of assassination plots. The ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms Bureau, and then later the FBI. And... uh there were in in seventy one when the ATF agents notified the union. They even gave us photographs of the hitman who'd been hired, and the California Highway Patrol arrested the guy. His name was Buddy Gene Procknow, outside Salinas, only a few miles from where Caesar had been the day before. He was stalking him. Arrested him for another murder for hire. He actually did commit. Wow! So she was living with this kind of Mortal stress. Fear. And yeah. You know, and finally, Caesar, you know, he was he was on the road maybe two, three weeks, never sleeping in the same place twice. And he finally told Helen, you know, I'm I'm not a coward. You know, I haven't done anything wrong except fighting for workers' lives. I'm going to go home and go back to work. And if they kill me, you know, then so be it, if that's God's will. Wow. But he wasn't going to be intimidated. And she stuck with him. She was there not behind him, but by his side. Mm. And sometimes out in front, you know, uh, in the late 60s, Caesar, who had a transformational vision of trade unionism, mm-hmm. he saw a union as a community of people. It couldn't just be solely an economic institution, mm. only worried about wages, hours, and working conditions. It had to be about something more, including all the crippling dilemmas farm workers faced outside the workplace, when they went home to their communities Mm. where they suffered discrimination and miserable housing and lack of educational opportunities and real discrimination because of ethnicity or language. And so, you know, Caesar in the late 60s, because he had this vision of a union as being more than about just getting more money for people, Mm -hmm. he opposed the Vietnam War in the late 60s. In in the 70s, Caesar unequivocally embrace uh, LGBTQ rights, what 
they called gay rights back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. I met Harvey Milk accompanying Caesar as his aide to events in San Francisco. And Helen had something to do with that too. Uh, her childhood friend going back to the 30s and 40s in Delano was a, a young woman named uh, Mocha was her nickname, Taurus was a family name. And she was lesbian. Wow. And Helen and Caesar had her baptize their two oldest children, Fernando and Sylvia, in 1949 and 50, respectively. And they were they were a Catholic family, I'm, well, I'm assuming. Probably Catholic. So this is incredibly, I don't know if we want to call it open-minded or just human, <laughs> humane. Well, what is it they say that when you when you know or, or or are close to someone from the LGBTQ community, it changes your attitudes. Sure, right. And so they knew her. And um, so in the 70s, I mean, Caesar would strongly support gay rights. Hmm. In 1984, when the Democratic National Convention was in San Francisco and labor had a huge march down Market Street, Caesar brought a couple hundred farm workers. And then when it was concluded, he brought the farm workers together and said, I'm going to go march in the gay parade in the Castro district, and you're invited to come with me. You don't have to come, but you're invited. Mm-hmm. And many of them did. So, you know, Helen was part of that process mm-hmm. as well. And, uh, you know, Caesar would say, how could you battle discrimination against your own people when you tolerate discrimination against anyone else because of who they are? Right. And that, you know, in the 1970s, that was not, it was long before it became popular, even among many of Caesar's constituencies. Sure. Um, Okay, so we may be sort of nearing the final chapter, I'm assuming. Okay, so why don't we um, dive into that (laughs) final chapter of their time together? Well, um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, images, you know, I'm... In, in, in 2012, when President Obama came to our headquarters southeast of Bakersfield in the Tehachapi Mountains where Caesar and Helen lived and labored their last 22 years and dedicated the Caesar E. Chavez National Monument, the first unit of the National Park Service ever to recognize a contemporary Latino figure. And that's where Caesar was buried. And the president, with Helen on his arm, uh, knelt at the grave site and laid a, a single rose on the grave site. Mm. And as they were walking away, this very humble, modest person who never spoke out in public, never granted an interview to a reporter. Wow. She buttonholes the president of the United States. And she says, Mr. President, you will you promise me that you're going to do something about immigration reform? Mm. And the president said, Yes, Mrs. Chavez, I promise I will. Mm-hmm. So Helen was a humble and modest person, genuinely, but she was also fiercely determined and very courageous. And she would speak up when she needed to. Does she have a monument yet? She's buried next to her husband. Okay. In a beautiful, beautifully landscaped memorial garden, mm-hmm. a stone's throw from where uh, Caesar lived. Caesar lived and worked. Hmm. But, you know, if, if, if there was a founder of the farm worker movement, and there was more than one, one of them would have to be Helen Chavez. Mm-hmm. How do you feel 
their legacy is holding up now? Well, the movement that Caesar and Helen and others built had an influence far beyond the fields. And, and I saw this traveling with Caesar around the country. You know, people would come up to him, especially Latinos, but people from all walks of life. And they would say, you inspired me to be the first in my family to go to college or to become an attorney or a doctor or a business person or to run for public office. That's great. Caesar came to understand that his work had far transcended the fields. And, and there are literally millions of Americans today who uh, trace their social political activism, their sense of giving themselves to others in a nonviolent cause to be part of something that's bigger than you are. And I think a great deal of that credit isn't just with Caesar. It's also with Helen Chavez and, you know, countless others. You know, Caesar always was very reluctant, felt very awkward being recognized in public because he knew there were so many Caesar Chavez's, so many women and men who uh, made great sacrifices and achieved tremendous things, but whose names are largely lost to history. Mm -hmm. Helen Chavez was one of them. Mm. Well, hopefully not for good. Hopefully (laughs) people will um, pay her a little bit more mind. Um, Can you, just so that we have a little bit of a sense of closure, can you tell us how each of them did come to pass? Caesar died at the age of 66, uh, 31 years, leading the UFW, never having taken a vacation, real vacation, working, I don't know, 12, 14, 15 hours a day. Uh, Helen would outlive him. She died in 2016. Wow. Uh, natural causes. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, surrounded by, you know, seven of uh, surviving children and 31 grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that, there's a legacy. Or great grandchildren. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what those numbers are. Right. And, uh, you know, she was just, you know, uh, as her children said, you know, she never stood behind her. Mm-hmm. She stood by his side, and sometimes she was out in front. She certainly is remarkable. Um, is there anything that I have failed to um, ask about that you'd really love to impart to us? You know, when in 2016 also, the U.S., you know, Caesar served in the U.S. Navy for two years, mm-hmm. honorably discharged, said it was the toughest two years of his life. Oh, my it was before President Truman integrated the armed services. I see. There was a lot of discrimination, sure. segregation, yeah. even then. And But for Helen, the Navy years were very meaningful because it was when they became serious about each other. And the Navy launched its latest Lewis and Clark class dry cargo ship, the USNS, United States Navy ship, Cesar Chavez, at a stern first. Oh, wow launch into San Diego Bay in front of 7,000 people. And Helen was very moved mm. and, you know, insisted on going. And, and you know, she hit the, you know, the champagne bottle against the- <laughs> She christened the ship. ship yeah. The launcher. And it was because of, you know, her memories of those Navy years. Oh, that's great. When they first became close. What are your, Mark, what are your plans with all of this massive amount of research that you, that you're sitting on? Are you intending to do anything 
in particular with any of it? Are you just sort of a resource for whoever decides to come calling? Well, I, you know, I'm fortunate. This is my 53rd year with the movement. Mm. And so I, and I work still both for the United Foreign Workers and the Cesar Chavez Foundation. So I, I get to do a lot of the legacy work. I do some writing. I'm, I'm helping out uh, Doug Brinkley with the new biography he's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my stuff is at the uh, Labor Archives at Wayne State University in Detroit. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important that, you know, the lessons that I learned from Cesar Chavez and from Helen Chavez and from the movement, you know, they, they have real life, present day relevance. Sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, there are... I think that uh, people uh, people like that couple who really sacrificed far beyond what any of us would have uh, chosen to do, uh, I think that that kind of moral and physical courage, you know, is as relevant today as was back in their day. Indeed. Well, Mark, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing this incredibly valuable perspective. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. We'll be releasing bonus episodes right up until season two comes out, so be sure to hit the subscribe button. And as always, we welcome any and all suggestions for upcoming episodes. You can email us at significantpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.